So, as we get started today, we are in a series that y'all helped me build called That's a Good Question. And in this series, we're wrestling some of these questions that you guys have asked. We put out a Google form, and I said, just, you know, hit me with your best shot. Give me all your questions. And we had some really, really good, great, theological, challenging questions that uh, required some answers. And and like I said, there was over 23 questions, 24 questions now that have been asked. Um, I don't, I'm not going to do this for 24 weeks. So we're going to do it for another four. So today plus three more. And so if you didn't get your question answered, keep an eye on social media because all those other questions I'm going to answer on social media in short, in short form video, the ones that I don't get to in this space. So uh, make sure that you guys do that. The link is still active. It's not on the app anymore, but the link is still active if you have that and you want to ask a question. So make sure you're following the church and paying attention to all those videos. And last week we answered the question, why do bad things happen? And we learned a lot in that question and it was challenging for us, but we were able to unpack why bad things happen. And I got that question very, very often. And then today, I got a to, or to this most recent question that I got that we're going to unpack today was actually, it's along the same lines, uh, and it's a little too big for me to just put in a, a short form video. So I figured I needed to go ahead and piggyback off of what we did last week and build on it this week. And it's this question that after we learned everything last week, many of you probably sat back and said, okay, I understand why bad things happen. But maybe the question that you asked after that is, why does God allow suffering and allow pain? Because that's a good question. We learned last week that uh, bad things happen because in the beginning, God created and it was all good and God didn't make any mistakes, but humans decided to rebel against God and humans decided to be disobedient. And when that happened, that created a break in the relationship between us and God And when that happened, sin entered the world. You guys remember that? That sin entered and broke the creation. That's what we learned last week. So again, we get to this question today because of what we learned last week. Okay, good. God didn't cause the bad things to happen. I'm there, Brandon. I learned that last week. I'm good. But answer me this. Why does he allow bad things to happen? And this is such a prevalent question in today's society. In fact, um, I was faced with this question just yesterday. Yesterday, I had the honor of doing one of our family friend's uh, funeral. She, she passed away, and the family friend asked me to do that, and it was an honor to do that. And as I was sharing the sermon, they said, hey, we want you to give a, a 25, 30-minute sermon. Give them a sermon. And I was like, all right, I'll tell them about Jesus. I'm good at that. I'll, I'll do that. And so I get maybe about 10 minutes in. And right as I start talking about Jesus, I have this lovely gentleman to my right raise his hand and starts talking over me. And at first, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep talking because eventually he'll, he'll, he'll stop. Um, he did not stop. And so he raised his hand, and he finally said, preacher. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Sir, how can I help you? And he said, he said, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. If Jesus is real, why did my sister die? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I, I told him, because I was only 10 minutes in, that I was hopefully going to get to that. Um, if you'd give me just a moment, sir. The other part is I said, hey, why don't you meet me afterwards, because that is a very difficult question to unpack. But it's a question that we all wrestle with at times, isn't it? Why do you allow it to happen, God? 
I mean, we're all aware of his power. We're all aware of what he does. If you follow Jesus, you know that, and, and you're accepting of it, but you sit back and you wonder, why does he allow it? In order to get there today, I want to start with a quote from our friend C.S. Lewis. If you've ever read the book, The Problem of Pain, you've heard this quote before. In this book, he actually unravels the idea of pain and the issue of pain and suffering in the world and how it relates to God and what God's doing through it. And it doesn't answer all the questions, but it gives us a decent framework to start with. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain, he says, insists on being attended to, meaning you can ignore when things are going good. You know this, you don't, you don't pray as much, right? You don't pray as much when things are going really good in your life. But the minute you get that doctor report, you're praying. The minute that you lose the job, you're praying. The minute that, that something happens inside of your marriage, you're praying. Right? So his point is drawing attention to the reality that we experience today. That we can ignore even pleasure. That's easy. He says, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. So God's never silent. He whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a dead world. His megaphone to rouse a dead world. Now, in order to get where we're going to, to be today, I have to teach you two things before we get there. Before we get there, I need to teach you two things, and then we'll move on to the, what the Bible has to say about this. But we need to understand when it comes to pain and suffering and things like that, sometimes God will deliver you from suffering. That is the miraculous moments at which some of us have either experienced or seen, at which it seems like it all just goes away, that God will deliver us from suffering. And then there are times and other times when he delivers us through suffering. There's times when it's from where he just completely takes it and we don't experience it anymore at all. And then there's times which by his grace and his mercy and his power, he delivers us through it. And that's uncomfortable. And that makes us feel like it's difficult to wrestle with. And it is. And it's a hard concept to understand at times. But ultimately, <clears throat> and this is a question for those Jesus followers in the room, so if you're not a Jesus follower, you can turn me out, and it can just be, you know, background noise. But if you're a Jesus follower, I've got, I've got to ask this question because I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't. When you hear that idea that God's going to bring you either from it or through it, and you're a follower of Christ, the real question is, and this is just the nature of it, the real question is, do I trust him? That's the question. Do I trust him? Regardless whether he brings me through it or delivers me from it, if you're a follower of Jesus, the question you have to answer and wrestle to the ground is, do I trust him? Now, as we get started today, we're going to take a look at an Old Testament story that's going to kind of explain these things a little bit more. The Old Testament story is the felt graph story that we've all heard. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph starts as a 17-year-old boy. He's the youngest son of Jacob, who's been renamed Israel, and he is a dreamer, okay? Literally, he's a dreamer. He would receive visions from God in dreams. And his father, Israel, Jacob, loved him more than the other sons and made him or an ornate robe, which is a very nice, beautiful robe, which was not common in those days. The youngest didn't get those, and the youngest didn't receive favor from the father. It was supposed to be the oldest that would receive favor from the father. 
So that didn't make any sense, and that kind of ticked his brothers off. They were mad. Well, of course they were, because it, you know, Jacob is breaking the way things are supposed to function. And he had a dream. He had a dream. And, and Joseph's dream was that one day his brothers would kneel down before him and instead of him kneeling before them. And that caused a huge problem for him and his brothers. So they had some sibling issues, some sibling rivalry. How many of you have uh, siblings in here? You know what I'm talking about? Where your brother says some nonsense and you're like, shut the front door, right? Like that's how you feel. <laughs> that's how you feel. I was the oldest, so I was always like that. The baby always got their way. That's how I felt, right? So that's, but uh, Joseph is having these, it causes some tension for him and his brothers. There's some tension there. And one day, Joseph went out searching for his brothers because his dad told him, hey, go find your brothers, bring them back. And they were sheep herders, and uh, they held livestock, so they would graze them, and they would take them in different areas. They wouldn't leave them in one area too long because it would mess that area up. So they would take them to different hillsides and different areas. So Jacob one day says, hey, uh, just go find your brothers. I'm not sure where they are. They're doing something with the animals out there. Go get them and bring them back. He says, okay, cool. So Joseph went after his brothers. We're in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 17. If you have your Bibles, break your Bibles out. We've got lights here so you guys can see. Um, if you want to take notes in the, on your seat backs, we've got pens and note cards. You can take notes. I encourage you to take notes because it's not reading the Word of God. It's not just hearing and reading the Word of God that changes your life. It's when the Word of God gets inside of you that changes your life. So I encourage you to take it to heart and take notes. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. I don't know if any of your older brothers have plotted to kill you. Maybe when you were younger, okay? Maybe, now I don't know, maybe they plotted to kill you on your way to the trampoline, I don't know. But um, anytime you think your family's jacked up, let's just think about people like this in the Bible, okay? He said, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come on, listen to him. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Yeah, yeah. you tell that mean ocean, right? And I'm sure that they're sitting around and, and, and I mean, imagine how bad the relationship had to be to be like, no, nah, I'm done with him. Let's kill him. Right? Some of you are like the oldest and your little baby sibling. You're like, yeah, let's kill her. Let's kill him, right? <laughs> Don't do that. You'll regret it, and you'll see why at the end of the story. <laughs> now, again, I know your older brother or older sister was bad, but this never happened that way. So, again, it, it, sidebar real quick. Um, the, all, you see this all over the Bible. This is all over the story. Jacked up, messed up people, okay? And somehow God is using them to bring his will upon the world and eventually bring the Savior of the world through some of these people. And that's essentially the story of God. So again, remember the next time you think you've gone too far, that you think you're too far separated from God, you've got too much sin, I'm too broken, my dysfunction is too large. Anytime you think of that, just remember you haven't tried to murder your brother yet. Or maybe you have and that's okay. There's, there's salvation available for you also. Reuben, one of his brothers, Reuben, hears this whole thing, and he goes, hold on, guys. Hold on. So when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him, being Joseph, from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Instead, 
Let's throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben was going to have them, hey, just throw him into the big well, and you know, we'll beat him up, rough him up, no problem, but we'll throw him in the big well, pick on our little brother, and then he, Reuben's thinking, I'll come back and get him. I'll come back and get him, bring him back to dad. He's the baby, so we, everybody's going to love him anyway. <laughs> right? So Reuben's like, I mean, don't kill him. Don't kill him. And then... Judah, one of his other brothers, had a good idea because he looks down the road and he sees some traders and merchants coming. And he thought, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? That's great thinking, Judah. What would you gain? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, listen to the honor in his voice. He is our brother. Slavery is far better than murder. He is our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed because they're great people. <laughs> and again, your brothers have never tried to sell you into slavery. And his brothers, uh, they take this really nice robe. So that's what they do. They take Joseph, sell him into slavery. Uh, they take this really nice robe that his dad had given him and they rough it up, you know, tear it up, rub some goat's blood on it and bring it back to dad and say, Daddy! Dad, it was terrible. Big bear, we couldn't stop it. It was awful, right? I mean, he says he's just been killed by a ferocious animal. There's nothing left, Dad, just the robe. And Jacob weeps because he thinks his son is dead. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Midianites, which was the slave traders, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Now, you got to remember, Joseph didn't do anything really wrong. I mean, he had a vision from God, and he simply said that vision out loud. Now, maybe he was kind of hard to deal with. Maybe. Sure, you could say that. But, I mean, he probably didn't deserve, I, I certainly don't think he deserved to be either killed or sold into slavery the way he was. And, I mean, by his own flesh and blood, that is a hard, hard sell. That's so, so difficult. And I'm sure he had a similar question to the question we're asking today. God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Why am I going through this? I mean, I get you're a good God. I believe you have power. I believe that you're who you say you are. But why am I going through this? Or maybe you said it this way. God, where are you? Where are you in the mix? Where are you in the midst of this? Are you sitting in the room next to me? Because sometimes it feels like you're in the room next to me watching the football game, not actually paying attention to what I'm going through, Lord. Because I don't know where you are, but it's hard to see you in these moments. Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you come in earlier? Like, where are you in the midst? And Joseph, I'm certain, has the same questions. But he didn't allow those questions to get in the way of his faith. He continued to do the right thing. And Joseph rose to become the chief servant in Potiphar's house. And the text tells us that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. So here's Joseph sold into slavery and the Lord was still with him. The Lord was still with him. Joseph found favor in the eyes of his master and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned, which is the captain of the guard, was a lot. 
The whole household he put in charge, or he put Joseph in charge of. The Lord turned this thing that was meant for the purposes of evil, and all of a sudden now, here he is, Joseph's being raised up, and he's being blessed. Now, again, sure, he's a slave, but he's been given more, if anything, than anybody else had at that time. So things are going pretty good for him. The trouble strikes again. Potiphar's wife, she finds Joey to be a hot piece of Hebrew tail. (laughs) Walking around in his Hebrew robe, Potiphar's wife can't keep her hands to herself. And Joey says, back off, honey, I'm saving it for marriage, and she wouldn't listen. And uh, he resists her time and time again because he's a man of honor, and he responds this way. When she comes on to him again, he says, hold on. No one is greater in this house than I am, Joseph says. This is him speaking directly to Potiphar's wife. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing in sin against God? I mean, God has blessed me in this environment and in this situation. Sure, it's not great and everything hasn't worked out. But I mean, come on. There's no way that I'm about to do that in sin in the way that you are trying to do. No way it's not happening. And she becomes very angry with Joseph. She becomes very angry with him. And so she responds and tells her husband that he basically tried to force himself on her. That prompted the response that you would expect it would. They take Joseph and they send him to jail. Genesis tells us that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So here's Joseph, didn't do anything wrong, doing the right thing, following what he's supposed to do, and he ends up getting the short end of the stick. How many people have been there before? Or it's just like, God, are you there? Because I don't know if you see what's going on right here, but this is a mess, and I kind of need you to step in. Where are you in this mix? And then the text tells us, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. You never expect that to see in 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 the scriptures together. He was in prison, but the Lord was with him. Said nobody ever, right? Nobody feels that way. If you ask anybody in prison when they go to prison the first day, they're not like, the Lord is with me. That's probably not what they're going to say. He says he showed him kindness and granted him favor. (laughs) Favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again, the juxtaposition there is is hilarious. And I'm sure Joey must have thought, God, can you go be with someone else? Because every time you're with me, these things keep happening. You know what? My brothers really need you to be with them. Can you go be with my brothers? Because don't be with me anymore. Because as you're with me, I've got some problems. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph stayed and did the right thing and continued behaving as if God was who God really said he was. And as if God was a good God and continued to act that way. It's important to realize that Joseph's suffering and pain were not evidence that God had left him. That just because he was going through suffering and pain, and we see it in the text... That was not evidence that God had somehow left him. In fact, it was a reassurance. There were times at which it was reassuring. Hey, remember, God is with you. So it's not a show of evidence. In fact, the circumstances, the circumstances did not determine his faith. 
He had his faith regardless. And the circumstances were hard. And the circumstances and environment, he couldn't control at times. And he did the right thing. And even doing the right thing, he was mistreated and he was hurt and he was abused and he was thrown into this. I mean, he had a horrible time to this point. But just because he had that horrible time, and somebody needs to hear this, just because he went through it doesn't mean that God had left him. And just because of whatever you're going through, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. It doesn't mean that at all. He was obviously with Joseph. And, he be- and Joseph continues to behave as if God was really with him. And in prison, Joe runs into the cupbearer of the king, and the cupbearer of the king has a dream. Because Joseph, again, was blessed, and he begins to be like the, prison, like the, the block runner. Like he, he was basically in charge of other prisoners inside of the prison because God had blessed him in prison. So the cupbearer comes. The king's cupbearer gets in trouble. He comes into the prison. He has a dream. Joseph, being able to understand dreams, interprets the dream for him. And then the cupbearer says, oh, okay. And then that dream comes to pass. The interpret, then the interpretation comes to pass the same way that Joseph said it would. And the cupbearer is elevated back to being the cupbearer of the king. So he's no longer in prison, but he forgets about Joseph and leaves Joseph in prison. Now the cupbearer is hanging out with the king. He's hanging out with Pharaoh. And then the Pharaoh starts to have dreams. And as the Pharaoh starts to have dreams, he can't figure out what these dreams mean. And he brings the diviners in and he brings these other people in and he goes, come on, somebody tell me what these dreams mean. And then the cupbearer goes, Joey knows. I forgot about Joey. Now, we think there was years in between the time that the cupbearer left the prison, was at the side of the Pharaoh again, and then the dreams happened. So there's years of a gap there, not like a couple days, years of a gap. And he says, oh, wait a second, there was this guy in prison. He was a Hebrew. Uh, in fact, he, 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 he knows these dreams things. So um, why don't you ask him? I mean, nobody else is able to get it. So why don't you ask him? So the Pharaoh says, okay, nobody else has been able to get it. Bring this Hebrew prisoner up and we will figure it out. And then Joey interprets the dream. And when he interprets the dream, he warns the Pharaoh of a coming famine. He says this famine will be across the entire land. People are going to be starving. It's going to be horrible. But you can stop it. God has given you, Joseph says, he's given you the opportunity to see it and stop it. So you need to start storing up grain and food now. Because if you don't, it's going to be really bad for your nation and it's going to be really bad for the people. And right away, Pharaoh was astounded because of Joseph's insight. And then he looks to Joseph and he says, actually, why don't you do that? You be second in charge in this entire country. You prepare us for this famine. I mean, you're the one that knows it's coming anyway. So why don't you do this? And when you do this, we will be better off. So that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh elevates Joseph from the from the Hebrew prisoner to being now second in command of Egypt and preparing Egypt for the coming famine. And now. It's a long process that I, ha- I, can't, I don't have time to cover. I'm covering about 15 chapters in Genesis. So if you want to start reading, start around Genesis 38 and go all the way to 50, okay? And then you'll get there to see the whole story of Joseph. But Joey becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. And then 
his brothers need help. So his brothers who aren't in Egypt, they're in Canaan, they come down and they're looking for food and they need help. And Jacob is the one that sends them. So they come in and of course, Joseph has to mess with them. Come on, he, they don't recognize it's Joseph, so he, he messes with them. He, he, takes a, he actually makes it look like they had stolen something so that he could screw with them when they come back, which is hilarious to me. They were getting ready to leave, and he takes some of like, the really valuable things on the table and like, stuffs it in their bag, and he's like, oh, you're going to throw me in a cistern. And then they get caught, and they get in trouble, and he goes, ha, just kidding. It's okay. I'm your brother, right? Because <laughs> they didn't recognize him as, as Joseph. They're like, ha, just <laughs> kidding. Just Joey here, right? Like he's full of laughs. But eventually, through this, pro- this, it's a big, long process, but there's a reconciliation that happens between his brothers and him and his father. And then he moves his entire family, and the Pharaoh makes space for him because of all the good that Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt. So when Joseph brings his family down, Egypt is ready, and they have the space for him. So they avoid the consequences of the famine. Not only did they avoid the consequences of the famine, all of Egypt avoided the consequences of the famine. But then Jacob, he's old and he dies. And when Jacob dies, the brothers begin to panic because of course you did. They think the only reason that Joey's putting up with them right now is because daddy's here. And when daddy's gone, Joseph's going to kill us all because that's what we tried to do. You can see the mindset hasn't changed at all. And so they get really, really nervous, and they start talking to Joseph. And they're like, you know that time that we threw you in the... Remember that? It was years ago, Joseph. Remember all the good we've done since then? Like, not at all, but kind of, you remember, right? So they're like talking to him about it, and listen to what he says. This is, this is so profound. In fact, some of you should probably write this down and keep this somewhere on a note card somewhere at your office. Or maybe somewhere where you just kind of run into those people or those situations. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, God took what you meant for evil and he turned it for good. God took what you were going to do in your intention, brothers, and he actually used that. He didn't cause it. Notice he didn't place the blame on God. He didn't cause it, but he's using it so that now thousands of lives are going to be saved because of it. And it's important to remember that Joseph in particular was being through each one of these bad situations. God didn't cause it because remember, sin entered and broke the creation. Amen? So that's what happens, but God will absolutely use those environments, use those circumstances, use those things to shape you and change you and grow you. That is the nature of this. That is what Jesus even says, I came into the, into the world so that you may have life and have it to the full. And then he says later, look, in this world, you will have, does anybody know the next word? Any of my Bible nerds? Trouble. Trouble. Not you're going to have a rose garden. That's what we want. That's not what he says. 
And, and, and if that's the faith that you were handed as a child, I'm sorry, but that's, that's, not, that's not a Christian faith. That's, that's something else. I don't know what that is, but that's not a Christian faith. Because in the Christian faith, Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And we see in this moment with Joseph that his circumstances constantly were changing and they constantly put pressure on him and caused so much strife in his life and so much problem. But what we never saw was Joseph never stepped completely away from his faith. I'm sure he had moments where he ebbed and flowed. We all do. I'm sure he had some days where he's like, Lord, I'm not praying today. You done locked me in prison, right? I'm sure he had those days. But then there's also days when he leaned heavily on God. It's the ebb and flow of the Christian walk. And it's normal. And it's part of the process. But what we have to remember in these moments is that God will take what was intended for evil and he will turn it for good. This is a concept we see in the Old Testament and again in the New Testament. Paul says it this way in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says God works all things for the good of those who love him. He didn't say God's going to make your life really easy because he loves you. didn't say that. He didn't say God's going to deliver you from every problem all the time and it's nothing but miracles and blessings at your beck and call because God is your cosmic vending machine. He didn't say that either. He said God works it together for the good of those who love him. Here's another concept we've got to understand. We have a very limited window at which we see the world. And when we recognize the vastness of God, and the limitations of ourself, that whole question of can I trust him becomes far easier to answer. Because there's moments in which God will deliver you from the circumstances. And then there's moments he delivers you through them. In Joey's case, my boy went through the circumstances. But in those circumstances, God created and built Joey up to where Joseph was able to lead the nation of Israel through a famine. Think about it this way. He goes in and he manages Potiphar's household. He'd never done anything like that before. But here he is learning how to manage resources, learning how to lead people because he was a slave. He was a slave, so he was in charge of the other house slaves. So he learned how to lead people. He learned how to communicate and talk respectfully because he's interacting with probably many of Potiphar's guards because he was the chief servant. So anytime Potiphar had dinner, guess who was there helping serve? the chief servant. All of a sudden, Joey's getting experiences he would have never had otherwise, and God is using that experience to shape him to become the leader he needed Joseph to be. And then Joseph goes to prison, at which he has to rely on, the, on God's spirit and power in prison. And he learns to lead people who are going through horrible, terrible times in prison to prepare him to lead a nation, going through a famine, a horrible and terrible time. God didn't cause it, but he absolutely will use it. And he will use it for the good of those around you from time to time. The entire nation, not only Joseph's brothers, but the entire nation was blessed and built up because God used Joseph's circumstances to build him and create the leader that he needed. I'm not dismissing the pain and suffering that you've experienced. I would never do that. 
I'm not trying to say that it's not significant. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't hurt. What I'm trying to say is I just want to suggest, especially for us Christ followers in the room, a small paradigm shift in the way we view things. That's all I'm asking for is a small paradigm shift. Because normally we ask the question, what is God doing to me? That's normally where we go. And I'm sure Joseph went there too. I'm sure he went there too. God, what are you doing to me? But I want to shift the paradigm for just a little bit. And I mean, I think you should ask this question, just do it for a week. And when you do it for a week, your whole perspective on the world will change. Your whole perspective on suffering and pain and going through some messed up things will change. I want you to ask the question, God, what are you doing through me? Because what Joseph did, and he didn't recognize, it's going through that suffering, God was preparing him to pour out blessings and save thousands. You're not the only one that's going to go through a divorce in your life. There's going to be other people that go through it. You're not going to be the only one that loses a job. You're not going to be the only one who experiences the loss of a parent or the loss of a child. You are not going to be the only one in life that experiences the business failing. You are not going to be the only one in life who's experienced the family pain and trauma that you have. And we have two options. We can lean into the victim attitude and mentality, which is the idea of what is God doing to me? And that is a method. But that, that method misses what God could do through you. That misses how God could build you. That misses how God could change you. That misses how God could change not only you, but everybody around you. You want the world to be better. It's when people who experience pain and suffering, when they begin to ask the question, God, where, instead of God, where are you? God, what are you doing? They begin asking, God, what are you doing through me? And let me partner with you. Because I want somebody to not go through what I have. I want to help somebody when they go through this. And as followers of Jesus, that's what Christians did for hundreds of years after Christ. They did that exact same thing. Because again, I'm not trying to diminish what you've gone through. I'm not trying to diminish what you have gone through. Some of you know my story with my biological father. I did not recognize that what God was preparing me to do was to be able to minister and care for individuals who had issues with their parents. I had no idea. God didn't cause Steve to act that way. He didn't do that. He didn't cause him to act that way. He made his decisions, and he turned out and made some very bad decisions. But in the course of that, God was shaping me and changing me, especially the last couple of years when I started to go into the ministry, where he was like, you remember that hurt? You remember that trauma? You remember that? Hey, we're going to get through this together. I'm going to take you through that, and then you're going to help somebody else. And you're going to go out and you're going to help other people through similar experiences. And I don't know what your experiences have been. But I can guarantee you're not the only one that has gone through them. You're not the only one that will go through them. And if you are brave enough to ask that question, God will create a divine appointment between you and somebody who needs to hear what you have to say. And when he does that, he, he begins to take what was meant for evil and he turns it for good. But you have to ask the question, God, what are you doing through me? So our question today, why does God allow suffering? 
I can't give you the answer all the time. I can't give you the absolutely every time this is why God allows it. But the question is, sometimes it's to do something through us for those around us. Sometimes he takes you through it and he doesn't immediately deliver you from it. Sometimes he takes you through it because when he takes you through it on the other end, you will alleviate suffering way more than if he just plucks you from it right now. So I can't give you the every single time. And anybody that tells you they can, they're not, they're not being honest with you. But I can tell you, especially with this evidence here, that God can take what was meant for evil. And if you would allow him and if you would give him the, the chance to, and if you would offer it to him and say, Lord, no, 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 not what is happening to me. Lord, what do you want to teach through me? What are you doing through me? And you partner with him in a way that you can begin to impact the lives of the people around you. So I encourage you to ask that question. God, what are you doing through me? And how can I grow from it? So, I would love to pray for you guys before we go.